Hey everyone, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Church, uh, and I'm kind of like the behind the scenes pastor, so you've probably seen me standing in the back with my notebook or something uh, and thought, who's that weirdo in the back with his notebook? Well, that's me. Um, one of the pastors here at Grace Church actually helped Grace get started uh, way back in the day, and now my job has kind of evolved into uh, helping our other church plants in our locations get up off the ground and have a healthy start. So if you're watching in Braintree, I miss you guys. And if you're in Bridgewater today, uh, I'll be back next week. Um, and if you're watching online, uh, thank you for watching and give us a like or a share. Um, so I don't know if you've ever noticed um, certain people, certain actors get typecast. You see like the crazy cross-eyed guy in all the um, Adam Sandler movies or uh, Liam Neeson is like typecast. Pretty much any movie he's in, someone gets taken and he has to go fight a bunch of people to get him back. I feel like I've been typecast as the adopted pastor. And so every time there's, every time there's this adopted series, uh, you know, everyone in the room as we're planning out the series kind of slow looks over to me like, you're adopted, would you like to preach? Um, and even today before I got up to speak, uh, this lady was like, oh, are you speaking today? And I said, yeah. And she goes, oh, that's right, you're adopted. Like, okay, yes, I am the adopted pastor. Yes, that's me. Um, but actually, I really do love this series. It's uh, my favorite series that we do. Um, and the reason I love it so much is not only because I am adopted and it's near and dear to my heart, but also I really think that the church has the ability to end the need for foster and adopting um, if uh, the church actually mobilized itself and, and started to take care of this problem. And so it's been really fun in our life groups um, to be talking about this. Specifically, my group, my group this last week was the best week we've ever had. It was pie day. It was March 14th. And so we had a whole bunch of different kinds of pies, blueberry, strawberry, rhubarb, which is my favorite, two kind of apple pies. We had a pizza pie, a chicken pot pie. Uh, but we also talked about adoption. And we talked about how we can actually start applying um, what we've been learning through the series to our life. And specifically, how can we start to, um, how can we start to help the people in our lives that need the most help? Um, and so in the first week, we talked about how uh, the church is not a feeding center. A lot of people treat the church like a feeding center. They come into the church, get what they need, and they leave. But really, the church is an adoption agency. The church exists. The people of the church are here to help more people get adopted into God's family. And in the second week, we actually looked at how the actual act of adopting is the best, uh, most clear picture of God's love for us. And specifically, we watched uh, the video of the Scuderans and their journey to um, adopt. And there's a specific quote in there that I loved where uh, Brian said that you can't change the world, but you can change one kid's world. Um, and so this past week, my life group had a great discussion um, talking about that. And honestly, for the past couple of weeks, uh, it's been kind of hard to get the conversation started in our life group. And I think it's because uh, before we were talking about family, friends and family, friends and family, family, that's where we got it. And then now we're talking about adoption and there's a lot of loaded words that we're using um, specifically through these, uh, these teachings, right? So the idea of love, uh, the idea of your parents or your family, um, this idea of uh, sacrificing to help people, like 
words like that have a lot of baggage that we bring to the table. Um, maybe, you know, you hear the word love and you think about people who said they loved you and then they did something different. Or maybe some of you think about a past girlfriend or boyfriend um, and some sort of, you know, something they do or something they said uh, triggers something. So now that you're even in a whole different relationship now, but if that word or phrase comes by that like triggers you and you freak out, um, that that's because of the baggage that we bring to the table when we talk about certain things. And so when, uh, specifically when we're talking about our relationship with God, there's a lot of baggage that comes to the table specifically about or in relation to uh, our baggage, either positive or negative, that we have with our father or father figures in our life. Um, and sadly, for most of us, we don't have positive uh, baggage that we bring to the table when we think about God. Uh, one of the Bible college uh, classes that I went to in Bible college, one of the best classes I went to um, was actually called um, Counseling the Contemporary Family, and we talked about how uh, your default approach, how you approach God, um, is, comes from how you approach the idea of father figures in your life. And so for me, one of the things that I really struggle with when it comes to talking about God um, specifically relates to my family and how I was brought up. So yes, I am adopted. I was adopted when I was 17 days old. Um, and I don't know um, really anything about my family at all, my biological family. Um, like I said, I was 17 days old. And uh, the only thing I really know is I have a medical record from them. And really all that that says is that my mom was 5'7", and my dad was, or my mom was 5'5", five, five and my dad was 5'7", and super skinny. So I don't know <laughs> if the medical record is right. Um, and then the only other thing that I know is that uh, I have a two-year, uh, a sister that's two years older than me. And so she was adopted as well. And so that really messed with me growing up. I grew up in Alaska, so not tons of people. So every attractive girl I saw in the grocery store or something, I thought, no, that could be my sister. Um, no, so, well, th I really did think that a lot, but, uh, so then I got adopted when I was 17 days old. Uh, my biological family, um, uh, my mom and dad, they had a, a daughter 12 years older than me, and then they went on the adoption waiting list, and they waited for 12 years, and then they got a call one night uh, that there was a little boy in the hospital that um, needed to be adopted. So they drove in, they, they got me, and on my birth certificate, it actually just said baby boy Buford. They hadn't picked out a name yet. Um, and I, that was my family, right? I don't know my biological family. Uh, when I was six is when my sister and my mom actually told me that I was adopted. And that really didn't phase me. I was like, okay, but I'm still gonna live with you, right? Like, you're not gonna send me back. <laughs> and they're like, no, no, you're gonna live with us. We just wanted to let you know that like, biologically you're not. And I was like, I don't care about that. And uh, Fast forward a year, I was seven, and uh, my dad died um, unexpectedly. He slipped on a, some ice and uh, hit his head and uh, went into a coma and then died uh, Halloween 1990. Um, and then fast forward another year, uh, and my sister, who at this point was 20, she had just turned 20, um, she got married and moved away. And so I had this, what I thought was a normal family, and then Fast forward a year and a half, and it's just me and my mom. Um, and there's a lot of crazy stuff that happened in between, but um, 
when I think about God, the baggage that I bring to the table is things that I have to fight almost on a daily basis. Um, the baggage specifically that I bring is I believe that God won't provide for me, that I'm on my own, and if he is there, that he's at a distance and he really doesn't want a relationship with me. Um, so I don't know what baggage it is that you bring to your relationship with God. Um, I know that the Jewish people in the Old Testament, if you read the Old Testament, they have a lot of baggage that they bring to their relationship with God. Specifically, they thought that God was uh, like to be feared and kept at an, at an arm's length. Um, and if you ever watched The Prince of Egypt, which is one of my favorite movies, uh, they, you know the story, right? The plagues, they go through the Red Sea, um, they get to the other side, and then they actually tell Moses, they're like, we actually don't want to talk to God anymore. If you could talk to him, because he's super scary, if you just go and talk to him, and then you can come back and tell us what he said, right? And so they keep God at an, at an arm's distance. And the Jewish people were chosen by God. They were God's chosen people, and they were chosen for a specific reason. They were chosen to tell the other nations about the one true God. But uh, the Jewish people took that gift, and they... Uh, um, turned it into something selfish. They saw themselves as higher than everyone else, and they actually withdrew. They didn't go out and spread um, the news about God. They didn't go out and tell other countries or other nations or people groups about the one true God. They kind of kept it themselves and thought that they were better and higher than everyone else. Then Jesus shows up, and he, like, flips the whole thing on, on its head. And in his very first message, the Sermon on the Mount, he goes through, and he starts off pretty uh, tame, where he just says, you know, blessed is this person and blessed is this kind of person, kind of goes through this list. And then he gets to this part that's, uh, you've probably heard it like salt and light, that we're supposed to be salt and light. And so what he says is, he goes, uh, God's people were supposed to be like salt. And what good is salt if it's in the shaker, right? It has to be spread out for it to be any good. And so the religious leaders are like, what? It's kind of going against what they say. And then he gets to the next part. He says, you were supposed to be a light on a hill. You wouldn't put a lamp under a bucket. No, you'd put it up somewhere high so that everyone can see it. And he says, you should be an example like this so that everyone can glorify God, your father who is in heaven. And what he should have done was passed out diapers because all the religious people like pooped their pants at that point. And they're thinking, there's no way. God is supposed to be feared. He's supposed to be kept at a distance. There's no way you can have a personal relationship with him. When the religious people would actually write the name of God, Yahweh, they would take out the vowels, and there was just left with like this code word because God was so feared you couldn't even write his name, let alone say that he was your father and that you could have a personal relationship with him. So that's what Jesus does, right? People freak out. And the reason they freaked out was because for the longest time, they had focused on the rules and they'd forgotten about the relationship, right? They had focused on all the right things to do and they totally forgot about the fact that God actually wants to have a relationship with them. Um, earlier this week, uh, I was talking with a friend of mine and he's older, he's in ministry and um, he has a really good marriage and good kids and stuff like that. And so I called him because uh, I wanna strengthen my marriage and. I want to be a better husband, and so I'm talking with him, and he knows a lot about, we've known each other, you know, for years, and, and he's talking to me, and we're getting towards the end of the conversation. He's giving me some really good ideas. Uh, we get to the end of the conversation, and he, he's, a, he's a pastor too, and so he asked me a question. He's like, hey, people in your life group, because he knows that I lead a life group, 
He's like, do you, how many people do you have going? I was like, oh, we have, you know, between 12 and 15. And he's like, are there people in your life group that uh, only show up every once in a while? Like they only show up like once a month or probably more like every other month. And I was like, yeah, we have those people. Um, he's like, do you, would you say that they're committed to your life group? They're committed to the people in your group? And I thought for a second, I was like, no, not really. I mean, if they only come once every eight weeks, it's probably not a sign of them being super committed to the group. And then he said, well, then why do you only take your wife out on a date every other month? And I was like, oh, I'm going to hang up on you now because that was really uncomfortable. Um, but no, he, he gave me a, uh, a word picture. He used an analogy of something that uh, I knew in one context and applied it to another context and helped me understand it a little bit deeper, right? So the, the religious leaders of the day, they missed why Jesus came to earth. But Paul, later in the New Testament, he gives us a new analogy, a new word picture that helps us uh, really see why God came to earth, why Jesus came to earth. So if you want to open up your Bibles, um, we're going to look at Galatians 4, 4 through 7. And I'll read it, and then uh, we'll kind of look at some specifics here. But it says, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now that you're no longer slaves, or now that you are no longer slaves, but God's own child, and since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Now, Paul, uh, he went around planting a bunch of churches and then would move on to another city, and then he would hear about those churches that he started in the past, either struggling with something or doing really good at something, and so he would write them a letter. And those letters, a lot of those letters, made it into what we call the New Testament, right? So it's a bunch of letters. I don't know if you knew that. The Bible is just a bunch of books. It's 66 books. And the New Testament is a bunch of these letters that Paul wrote. And when you read his letters, you see this idea of adoption coming up in all these different letters in different contexts in different ways. And so it really made me curious on why, um, why adoption? Why this particular word picture or analogy? Um, and so I googled Roman adoption um, and a whole bunch of stuff pulled up, some dissertation papers, a PBS special on Roman adoption, uh, Wikipedia, all this stuff. And of all the stuff that I read, there was a handful of things that really stood out that just like my friend uh, used that word picture to help me better understand my relationship with my wife. I think this, this context or the history of why Paul used adoption specifically for his time in the Roman Empire, why I want to look at the history of that, and then hopefully that will help us kind of deepen what we just read and help us add some layers to how we can apply it to our life. Um, so one of the biggest things that I learned about Roman adoption is that uh, it was very specific um, to adult males. They actually didn't adopt kids. That wasn't what they did. They would adopt adult males, and it was always rich Roman citizens that would adopt. Um, and specifically, they would only adopt adult males. Now, and they could only adopt Roman citizens. 
But there was one loophole, and that was if a non-citizen, if a foreigner was a slave, which usually they were into slavery because there was some debt that they couldn't pay, and so they would actually volunteer themselves as a slave uh, to pay off that debt. So if a non-citizen, if a foreigner was a slave, they could be adopted, but first the rich Roman citizen had to buy them out of slavery. And that was just a legal act that made them a Roman citizen, which made them eligible for adoption, right? So if they were a slave, they could be freed, and then they would have the right to be adopted into a new Roman family. Now, when they got adopted legally, the old person was gone. There actually was no record of the old person, like the person did not exist. And then that new person, the new identity, all their debts were gone, and they joined into a new family. And the Roman law actually never um, distinguishes between an adopted son and a, a, a blood relative son. So a lot of the Caesars were adopted because they had like moron sons. So they would adopt another kid into their family that they thought they could pass on the family business to. And there was actually one Caesar that was in love with the Caesar's daughter, but then when he got adopted, he couldn't marry his sister, right? Because the Roman law saw them as the same. There was no differentiation. And so he actually had to get uh, the Senate to approve a new law to let him marry his sister. That sounds really weird. Either way, I say all that to say the Roman law was, they became a brand, a brand new person and that person was equal in the family with everyone else, right? So they were, they could be uh, bought out of slavery. They were a new person. When they were a new person, they joined a new family. And in that family, the whole reason for adoption uh, was to pass on the family business. That was always why adoption happened in the Roman Empire, was a rich Roman wanted to pass on uh, his inheritance. Now, we think of inheritance, we think of, uh, like, when someone dies, I inherit some money or something like that. But in the Roman world, in the ancient world, it, it didn't have to do with when someone died. It had to do with the estate that they were working in at that time. Uh, if you ever watched Downton Abbey, I know that might make me lose my man card, but I was super into that show. Um, if you think about, <laughs> this is going to get deep, so if you didn't watch the show, I'm sorry. But when Matthew married into the family, he didn't just inherit the stuff when the guy died. He was part of the family. So when he jumped into the family, he started offering suggestions on how to improve the farm, how to turn the stables into a mechanics area, and what to do about the rental houses. Like, it wasn't just that he was going to sit on his butt until his father-in-law died and he inherited everything. He married into, he went into a family, and because of that, he had a new job, right? And he just jumped right into the family business, right? So uh, if you were a slave, you could be adopted, but you had to be freed first. When you were adopted, you were a new person legally. That new person was in a new family that had roles and responsibilities. And then your, uh, your new family also meant that you had a new job, right? Those are the four things that stood out to me. So in light of those four things, let's read through Galatians, that passage that we just read again, and we'll stop along the way and we'll kind of point some stuff out. All right, so Galatians uh, 4. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. Right, so this is that whole idea of uh, we were not citizens, we were slaves, and we may have gone into slavery voluntarily, but God wanted to adopt us. And so first, the first legal act before he could adopt us was he had to free us from 
our sin, free us from our slavery. And Paul actually uses this in another book that he writes, but in Romans 6, 6, it says this, we know that our old sinful selves, they were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives and we are no longer slaves to sin. All right, so let's keep reading the rest of, of verse five. It says, uh, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And Paul uses this idea again of adoption um, in 2 Corinthians, and it says this, uh, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old person is gone and a new life has begun. So not only did God come to earth to buy us out of slavery to sin, but also the fact that we are now adopted means that our old life is gone, right? And we have a new life. We're a new creation in Christ. The old person it doesn't exist anymore, right? Verse six, and because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out to God, Abba, Father. Now with this, this is the idea of not only were we purchased out of slavery, we have a, a new uh, we're a new person, but now we have a new family, right? We're in God's family. And Paul uses this to his letter to the church in Ephesus. So Ephesians 2:19, it says this. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers. You're no longer foreigners. You are citizens along with God or with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. So not only were we freed from slins, freed from sin, we're no longer slaves. We have a new, a new life. We're a new person. We have a new family, but also we have a new job. Verse seven, uh, now you're no longer slaves, but God's own child. And since we are his child, God has made you his heirs. Now this one's a little bit more tricky. To, I tried to like pull out one verse that was like for each one of these things. I couldn't really pull out one verse for uh, this idea of having a new job. But in my research, I actually found a sermon from Charles Spurgeon, which is like, super preacher man from a long time ago. And so I found it interesting that his sermon called, uh, I believe it was called Christ uh, about his father's business was actually delivered this same weekend, 162 years ago. Um, so I think it was like March 16th, uh, yeah, 1857, something like that. But he actually gave a whole message about this idea of what is God's business. And he starts with looking at this uh, story about Jesus where his family went to Jerusalem um, and they actually lost Jesus. They started to travel back to their, their hometown and they lost Jesus for like two or three days. So they went back to find him and they found him in the temple and they probably freaked out on him. Jesus, why did you leave? And he said, well, don't you know that I would be about my father's business? And so then Charles Spurgeon spends like, you thought our messages were long? I think that message must have been like two or three hours. I read through it a couple times because the old English was like hard to understand. So I had to like Google some of the words and stuff. But his sermon was super long. So I'll condense it, right? I'll condense it into the, his three main points. So he, he said what God's business is, is three things. One, it's being an example, living your life as an example for other people to follow. And Paul actually uses this. Uh, I think it's in 1 Corinthians. He says that, listen, follow me as I follow Christ, right? This idea of uh, what is God's business. Part of God's business is that we live a life so that other people can see it, right? And Jesus even mentioned that in his uh, first sermon. He said that 
we should be a light, right? So that other people can look at our lives as, as an example and then they can glorify God, right? So first is that uh, we're to be a good example. Second is that we're to forgive the unforgivable, just like Jesus did, right? So Jesus lived an example. And then in Jesus's, uh, people ask him, how do we pray? Jesus said, and one of the things in how to pray is pray like this. And he says that God forgive us as we forgive others. So be an example and forgive the unforgivable. And then the last thing that Charles Spurgeon said in his, in his message was that you should, um, you should establish relationships with people that are far from God so that they can be adopted. Those are the three things that if you are about God's business, those are the three things that you'll do. Um, so the one truth, if I were to say this is the one thing that I want you to walk away with, right? This is the one thing that when you go home, talk about this with your kids, talk about this with your spouse or your partner. Um, when you go to work, think about this one thing. If there's like one thing you can walk away with today, uh, it would be this, that God doesn't want to just save you. He wants to adopt you. Saving you was just the first legal action he had to do to get you out of slavery. But just like the Pharisees, just like those religious leaders, don't focus on the rules, don't focus on the tasks or the checklist. You should focus on the relationship. God saved you so that you could be adopted into his family, so that he could have a relationship with you. Right? So God doesn't want to just save you. He wants to adopt you. So stop living like a slave and start living like a child of God. One of Grace Church's core values is that we are biblically centered. Um, and what that means is that we don't take the Bible and adjust it to fit our lives. We don't take portions of scripture and read them and then try to twist them around to make them comfortable for us. We don't take the Bible and adjust it to fit what we think is true or what we think is right. We do the exact opposite. We take our lives and we adjust it to fit what the Bible says. That's what it means to be biblically centered. And so I know that every time uh, you're presented with a truth from the Bible, you really do, there's a fork in the road. You really do have a choice. God gave you free will. You can either choose not to do anything about it and continue living life the way you always have. And if you keep living like that, you'll just keep getting what you've always got, right? Or you can actually believe it in your head, apply it to your life, and actually start doing what the Bible says, right? So with this truth that God wants to not just save you, but he wants to adopt you, so start living like a child of God, that's, that's a fork in the road for you. You can either choose to do nothing, or you can choose to actually start applying it to your life. And I don't know where you are in your relationship with God. I don't know um, what baggage you bring to your relationship. I don't know uh, what you think about God or anything like that. But I do know that there's some of you in here that you would say that you're not adopted. You would say that you've never taken that step of adoption. You've never gone all in, as we've said multiple times here at Grace Church. You've never, um, God's offering you adoption and you've never accepted it. You feel far from God. You feel, you may feel far from God. You may feel like you're a slave to your sin, which is really just um, disobedience towards God and selfishness towards other people, right? We all would agree that 
Um, we've done those things. But the difference, right, Satan believes in God, but Satan doesn't trust God. So maybe you're here and you're not adopted um, into God's family. You would say that you believe in God, but really you've never trusted God with your life, right? You've never um, gone all in. Um, so for you, you can do that today. You, you really can. Today can be your adoption day. Um, I know lots of families that have adopted kids later on in life. My sister actually adopted um, a five-year-old boy, um, and they, they celebrate their adoption day, right? Same thing. You can be adopted into God's family today, and you can celebrate today as your adoption day. Um, so in a couple minutes, I'll pray out loud, but you can pray in your seat. Um, there's no magic words. There's no, like, you have to be sure to say these three things or else it doesn't work and God's magic isn't on you or anything. Um, there's no magic words. So you just, you just be real with God and you tell him exactly how you feel, the fact that you want to be adopted and that you're going to start living like a child of God. So maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe that's kind of as I've been speaking, that's kind of where you've identified as is, you know, maybe I'm not adopted, but I want to be. Um, or maybe there's probably a, a good amount of us that would say you probably more identify with the religious leaders in the story that we were talking about earlier where you know God, but you've really, if you were honest with yourself, you've really been focusing in on the rules and the regulations and the checklist, but you've never, you've never focused on the relationship, right? So maybe, maybe that's you and, and you've kept God at an arm's length um, and you've never really uh, accepted the relationship um, that God's been looking for all along, right? That's a whole story of uh, the Jewish people all throughout the Old Testament. They keep running from God. God keeps chasing them, just waiting for them to turn around and stop running. So maybe that's you today where you feel like you've focused on all the rules, but you've forgotten the relationship. And if that's you, you can stop running and you can turn to God and you can start living like, uh, living like a child of God. Or maybe you'd say, Brian, you know, I, I am adopted. I do remember that day. Um, I remember going all in with God, but honestly, man, I'm still living like a slave to my past, right? Like I'm still living like um, sin has a hold on me and I just can't break free from it. I know that I'm adopted, but I just, all the baggage from my past is still there. And that maybe that's you. And for you today, while I pray, you can pray silently in your seat that you would just, that God would help you let go of the past, right? Let go of the past stop living like a slave and start living like a full child of God. Or maybe there's some of you that would say, yes, I am adopted, but uh, I really haven't embraced this whole idea of being part of the new family, right? The, the Bible actually has uh, 47 different statements. They're called the one another's, um, if you're interested, but you could probably just Google the one another statements and we'll pull up all these statements. And there's all these ways that the Bible says we should act as a family of God, act as brothers and sisters in Christ. There's 47 of them. And honestly, you, uh, it's impossible for you to do them sitting in a church service one hour a week. Like it's just not possible to live the, t the type of life that God wants us to live in a relationship with other believers, people that are uh, in God's family. It's impossible to live that kind of life if you're just sitting here on the weekends, right? So if that's you today, I would say, you know, get plugged in, join a life group, join a service team, do something outside of the weekends that helps you get connected relationally with other people that can help you live the type of life that God really wants you to live. 
or maybe, and I think this is, uh, this is probably the majority of us would say, we are adopted. Um, we are probably plugged in a little bit, but honestly, we are not about our father's business, right? We have not um, adjusted our lives in a way that matches what God's called us to do as people who are his children, people who are his family, right? We, um, we understand that we have a new identity. We're not slaves anymore. We have a new family, but we've never actually accepted the new job that God has us in because we are part of his family, right? All of us have like an occupation that pays the bills, but as followers of God, as people who are in God's family, not only do we have an occupation, but we have a vocation. We have a higher calling to do something that matters more, right? And so that is probably a good chunk of us. And if that's true, then just embrace your new role, get off your butt and get involved um, and start living like a child of God. I, I tried to think of like a cool way to end the message or whatever. And as I was reading through that Charles Spurgeon sermon, there were three or four sections that really stood out to me. And uh, even though they're in like old timey Europe English, uh, I thought I would read like a section of it because I thought it was really good and I'd wide try to reinvent the wheel when they already did so good. I won't read like all five hours of it, but I'll just read this last little part. It says, uh, can you tell me why Christianity has spread so much in primitive times? It was because holy men counted not their lives dear unto themselves, but they were willing to suffer loss of all things for Christ's sake. Sirs, I tell you that why our faith in these days spreads so little, pardon me, which I think is like old-timey saying for, I'm sorry, I'm getting a little feisty, uh, but he says, pardon me, it's because people who profess faith don't truly believe it. Yes, they believe it in their heads, but not in their hearts. How few there are that have given themselves fully to their faith. Now, you may say, how can I do it? I assert that it is possible for you to do all things in the name of God, and so to give glory to Christ every day. Don't think you need to be a minister to dedicate yourself to Christ. Many a man has disgraced the pulpit, and many a man has made the plow holy. We ought in, our, we ought in all our business to do all for Christ. Oh, it is a sweet employment to serve your Father. If your heart is right, you can serve God in weighing a pound of tea as much as in preaching a sermon. You can serve God as much in driving a horse and cart as in singing a hymn. Sir, I tell you, you can serve God wholeheartedly in standing behind your counter. You will have a happiness when you rise such as you have never known before if you can think each morning, I'm going to serve God today. My dear friends, I trust you can be moved by this. Would you not like to go to heaven alone? I don't think that you would. My happiest thought is this, that when I die, I shall enter heaven with Christ, but I shall not enter heaven alone. Oh, what a pleasant thing to flap one's wings to heaven and have a multitude behind me. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for freeing me uh, from my slavery to sin, freeing me from my past, forgiving me of my past. Um, 
God, thank you so much for offering me a new life in you and not only a new life, but a new family. God, help me to make adjustments to my life to match what your Bible says. God, help me to make adjustments in my life so that I can be an example of your love and your generosity. God, help me to make adjustments in my life so that I can live more intentionally in my family and at work and in my neighborhood so that more people can come and be adopted into your family. God, thank you for blessing me, even though I don't deserve it. In your name, amen.